Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aiden Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures, Episode 12, A Downward Spiral. Uh, This week we're finishing up the book of Judges, Judges 6 through 21, getting into the book of Ruth and beginning 1 Samuel. So it's a little bit of a a moving fast along the way here as we go through these early books in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm Pastor Tom Marcy, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. I'm Vicar Aiden Moon. And with us today we have Kristen Nissler. She is the Director of Family Ministry with us here at Zion Lutheran Church. We're real privileged to have her as a part of our ministry team here. Uh, Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I, like you said, am the Director of Family Ministry here at Zion, and I work with all age groups from our littlest kiddos um, all the way up through confirmation, our youth group, and do some adult ministries as well as far as um, marriage conferences, and we do um, women's Bible studies. So really my greatest joy is connecting generations here at Zion um, in Christ. Well, we've had you here for a while. Maybe uh, you'd be able to understand a little bit of your background. You uh, went to Concordia Seward. Uh, you have two degrees from Concordia Seward. What are those? Um, I have, My first degree was in elementary education uh, with a Lutheran teaching diploma. And so my first call was here to Martin Luther School. And I was able to teach kindergarten and third grade here for a while. And um, as I got involved with children's ministry here at Zion, um, I found that the greater need and and the greater pull for me was to be able to visit with families and to do family events together, um, to be able to uh, be in God's word together as as parents, um, even involving uh, generations throughout. So yeah, then I went back to Concordia and got my degree in family life education. And so that's been a, a valuable thing for us here at Zion. Well, absolutely. As uh, Kristen mentioned, uh, cross-generational. As we've gotten into the trek through the scriptures, one of the interesting things that we found is uh, families reading uh, together. Mm -hmm. I know that some of our younger members, especially like the little videos that are on the Read Scripture app as it goes through that. And so we really do work at connecting across generational lines. And that's an interesting place as we get into now the book of Judges because the book of Judges isn't exactly uh, family friendly all the time. <laughs> no, not exactly. Uh, we mentioned last week this is maybe one of the grittiest books of the Bible. Uh, I, I would say if it was a movie, it would probably be rated R um, if it was really accurate to the stories that we get. It's it's not pleasant. So, so Genuinely speaking, uh, parental guidance recommended. If your kids are reading this with you, there's going to be some difficult things to talk about. You might have some questions that you don't necessarily want to answer. So keep that in mind as you're going into this book, because uh, the book of Judges does not pull any punches in the sense that it's, it's really brutally sometimes honest about this period of time in Israel's history. Uh, It's, and we, 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 introduced this in our podcast last week, but you're really getting at this cycle of, of sin in that we end Joshua with this promise uh, that, that God will be with the people if they continue to keep the covenant. And, and Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And 
It says that during Joshua's lifetime, that went really well. The people had this period of time where the promised, there was a sweet spot, so to speak. The promised land was theirs. They were living in it faithfully. And when Joshua goes away, things start to fall apart. And it happens sort of slowly at first, but this cycle of sin and then oppression, repentance, deliverance, and then a little bit of peace just keeps spiraling getting worse and worse and worse. And so there's some disturbing stories. Um, and the end of the book itself is pretty tragic. It's it's demonstrating the bottom of the depths of human sin. Um, when a culture and a society gets so bad that, that things are happening that we can't even fathom. So as you're getting into the book, there's a couple of little facts that you should know. First of all, there's 12 judges throughout the book, uh, 11 men, one woman. and just because uh, some of the ultimate facts, so to speak, as you go through the story is a little gritty, a little bit disturbing, doesn't mean that the message behind the stories or the message found in these uh, judges and prophets is not important Mm -hmm. because they are. And some of them are stories that we learn in Sunday school, Samson, Gideon, uh, but yet it is very important that even though we might want to protect our children from some of the grittier details, they are important stories in mm-hmm. the whole uh, story found in Scripture, and so we do really want to look at them. So as I mentioned earlier, I, I think one of the interesting things, and we're going to look at the book of Ruth here in a little bit, is that one of the judges is named Deborah. Uh, and so it's interesting because she's in the early stages of the book, as Vicar Moon was mentioning earlier, so things aren't quite to the level that they will be by the end of the book. And this is one of those uh, readings that I think find interesting to understand that her story is told in two different kind of word forms. One is prose and one is poetry. And as you're doing that, Judges chapter five is poetry. It's Hebrew poetry, not necessarily (laughs) the kind of poetry we associate today. Yeah, Hebrew poetry doesn't have the same features as as uh, English poetry, and then it gets even worse when you try to translate it. So, I mean, this is this is something that's still true. You have people trying to translate, for example, hymns from German to English, and it ends up looking a little bit different because they're trying to make it both continue to be a poetry, but also retain the meaning of the words. That's a tough job. Translating Hebrew poetry is really difficult. And what we end up getting in English doesn't really look like poetry. Um, not not the kind of poetry that we're familiar with, at least. Uh, it doesn't have those features of rhyme or whatever. What you will see is like these things, like you'll see some repetition, you'll see some parallels, you'll see some uh, what we call, uh, it's, it's a fancy word for it is a chiasm where it says has a sentence that says things one way and then the subject is flipped and the sentence basically says the same thing just in an opposite uh, opposite phrase that's a, a feature of Hebrew poetry we'll see that in other books as well um, but it doesn't look like what you'd expect poetry to look like especially once it's translated into English but that is what it is now remember these judges are chosen by God and they all have specific purposes they're doing different things uh, getting back to Deborah for a moment it's interesting because Her resume isn't just a judge. She's a judge, warrior, poet, prophet, singer, songwriter. Uh So God has her doing all kinds of things. And so to think that it's always men. Nope, Deborah was uh, very much there. And uh, she's the only female judge, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, But that's okay because there's lots of uh, things that she is able to accomplish for God during the time period as you read it early in the book of Judges. It's it's also interesting because... 
the only person who shares those kind of two features of both prophet and judge is Samuel, who's going to come up in the in the book after Ruth in first first and second Samuel, and that's. Uh, he's very important. He's an incredibly significant figure. And uh, Deborah is the only one who shares both of those job descriptions. Which is interesting because, you know, you think of all the great prophets, and I don't know, perhaps maybe how that, for me it would be Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And then to think that Samuel and Deborah share both judge and prophet is rather interesting mm-hmm. connection there. So so as we said, the early judges are 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 okay. You know, there, there's these people that are trying to follow God. They have some flaws. Um, for example, Gideon seems kind of cowardly, a little bit of a worry wart. He's not entirely trusting of God, but he ends up, he ends up trusting, uh, in what God will do. And there's a great victory one. Um, so that it's, it's okay early on. You do see some stories of heroism, even if there's some violence and, and uncomfortable stories, but it starts to get worse and worse and worse. It's interesting to me how God takes these very deeply flawed people and still uses them as part of his plan throughout history, throughout the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of violence, a lot of nasty things going on in this book. Um, But how God uses these people is just an awesome thing. It's it's like... Samson is this figure that shows up and he's one of the last, he's, he's near the end of the book, um, near when it's getting at its worst. And not only are the people of Israel broken and flawed, but Samson himself, God's chosen judge, is, is not exactly, he's not the kind of guy you want to marry your daughter. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> well, what's very interesting is really, though, if we read this and realize this whole idea, think about ourselves. No one knows our flaws as well as we do ourselves. And it's very easy, uh, no matter who we are, pastor, uh, church worker, layperson, to think, how can God use me? Look how flawed I am. And this is an idea that we see again once we get to the New Testament, the flaws and challenges with God's disciples and apostles, and yet God's able to use them. And so I think that the encouraging thing for us, he's able to use Samson and the other judges with their flaws for his purpose. God can use me with my flaws and, and still for his purpose and fulfill his uh, desired outcomes. It might be weird to think this way, but Samson is, is, is a figure for Christ even and points forward to Christ, even though he's such a screwed up character, even though he is a, he's problematic, sinful He's, he's incredibly proud, which we can see as one of the most dangerous sins um, for, for human and angel alike. I mean, pride is, is a big danger, and Samson has, has all those things. And uh, there's a, a CPH, Concordia Publishing House, Bible study talking about revealing Jesus in the Old Testament. And they said this, that Samson stands out as one of the biggest wastes in the history of God's people. And they're getting at this idea that that he had great gifts, the strength and, and power that God gave him, and most of the time he used it for his own selfish purposes. Yet, even Samson was used to deliver God's people. Um, he delivered God's people, and the greatest deliverance was through his own death. Um, and if that's not ringing any bells for us, it should um, reflect forward. Ultimately, in his, his humbling and his death is what brings rescue for God's people. And as we draw to an end of the book of Judges, it ends in this dark place. There's barely a glimmer of hope for God's people. It's the tragedy of Samson's death and that. And yet 
God does not leave his people. He's still there for them and uh, going to work in them and even through difficult times. And that kind of leads us into the next book, the book of Ruth, because it's a difficult time for the book of Ruth uh, as we get into it. Yeah, it's crazy to me how violent and awful the book of Judges is. And then we move into the book of Ruth that is a very beautiful story, um, Mm -hmm. much different than the book of Judges. Mm -hmm. And as it picks up at the beginning of Ruth, you know, there's some difficulty at the beginning of Ruth. There's death, there's difficulty, there's famine. And yet uh, through that uh, wilderness period, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, it comes into this beautiful story uh, and a connection later than to the the life and genealogy of Jesus. As we get into this book here, one of the things we want to mention is it's interesting that Ruth, along with Rahab, who we heard earlier with she protected the spies as they were trying to get into Jericho and so forth. Those two women are listed in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew, and they are the only non-Israelites that are listed in the genealogy. There's four women listed, but they are the only non-Israelites. And that's interesting because it shows uh, part of God's plan coming up. The fact that God's plan is not just for his people is is really important for us. Uh, We talked a little bit about the Canaanites and their evil and stuff, but Rahab, so back in the book of Joshua, Rahab is a non-Israelite who repents and recognizes recognizes Yahweh as God and becomes part of the family and even is is in Christ's genealogy. And Ruth is the same way. There's this opportunity for repentance and, and, and joining the family. It's not... Uh, not a racial kind of connection as much as there's always possibility for people to be grafted into the family of God in that way. Uh, it's very, that's a very significant theme. Uh, Kristen also mentioned the, the contrast between Judges and Ruth. And I think it's interesting for us to see how, how Judges and Ruth are happening around the same time. So this is the same time period. So from the top down, from the sort of big picture, we're getting this view of, of, violence and death and this cycle and these big heroes, these big names. And then you get the normal people living their normal lives. I mean, this is why I love the book of, of Ruth, because it's so down to earth. You're dealing with the kind of stuff we deal with in a in a an early Hebrew context, but it's not it's not uh it's not great heroes and battles and those kind of things. It's a little bit easier for us to relate to mm-hmm. just as normal people. It's a story, you know, we have farming in the story. We have family in the story, mm-hmm. um, you know, people moving from different places. And it's just a little bit easier for the common person to understand, I think, and relate to. Well, it's interesting that they leave uh, their land because uh, there is a famine in the land. They're trying to find places where they're able to uh, food for their family. And uh, it's there where they meet Ruth and uh and her uh, cohort, so to speak, the two sons of uh, get married, and ultimately Naomi is the only one left because her two sons and her husband uh, die, and now it's time to go back. So we see this interrelationships between parents and their sons getting married, and uh-huh. then this new relationship, so to speak. You mentioned earlier one of the things that you do, Kristen, is uh, marriage. Uh, retreats and that. So it's kind of an interesting that we view the interconnectedness between generations and uh, marriage and, and marriage outside of their uh, normal family units and, and how that works in, in the upcoming chapters. Mm-hmm. This one has some great family uh, themes throughout. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, so we, we mentioned the genealogy of Jesus. I just wanted to make this note that in some ways the 
Ruth is a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel for the book of Judges because we start to see a glimmer of hope, um, even though Judges ended really dark. Um, Judges also end, ends with this mention that there's no king in Israel. Um, some of the reason this happened, there's no leadership to point them in the right direction. And Ruth and Boaz are David's great-grandparents. So King David is going to come from this line. So even when all of these horrible things are happening in Israel, God is continuing to carry out the thread of his promise um, that we followed through from Abraham all the way down the line. And he's going to carry that out through this normal people living their normal lives, doing their thing. There's no grand word from God from on high. They're just living their lives, trying to be faithful in their vocations. One of the things that's hard to uh, sometimes understand as we read through this book, realize that the idea of inheritance and responsibility in family was a little bit different then. Like, why is it that as Naomi and Ruth return, because she is now a widow, they're both actually widows now, uh, their place in the community is different than what we would understand it to be today and how Naomi needed to be dependent upon extended family. And it really speaks to the difference in their culture, but yet also showing how God, even in in that, is able to protect them. And so that's where we find Ruth at this time, uh, struggling uh, to support both her and Naomi, and uh, those relationships related to that. Uh, So one of the things that I picked up on throughout the book of Ruth was... um, the opposites of what happens at right away at the beginning and how the book of Ruth ends. Um, there's this tragedy of, you know, Naomi lo- losing her husband um, and not only being a widow, but then losing her two grown sons and um, the, the extreme loss that she feels in this desperate um, hopelessness. Um, this emptiness. In fact, when she moves back, um, she changes her name to Mara, meaning bitter, that she's got what she feels is maybe nothing to live for. Um, she has no future because she has no sons, um, this, this brokenness. Um, but God turns this story of tragedy and hopelessness into hope and triumph at the end of the book. Um, and instead of being empty and bitter, she has this fullness and she's restored um, to being part of a family. Um, she has a future. Um, she then Her name will continue. And she's, she is, as you mentioned, um, part of the lineage of Jesus that's mentioned in Matthew. Um, but how she goes from this sorrow and this being alone and abandoned um, to being part of this family um, is just a wonderful thing to, to read throughout the book. Well, as we go through the scriptures, really, and we've been talking about this again and again, is God's faithfulness. Despite the struggles, God is faithful. And so as we read the book of Ruth, one of the, uh, one of the themes is that unexpected loyalty, that faithfulness that Ruth shows towards her mother-in-law. This isn't her mother. This isn't uh, somebody that she is physically related to. This is her mother-in-law. And yet uh, she is going to follow her anyway to this uh, strange land in her faithfulness and loyalty to her mother-in-law. And it gives us a imperfect picture, but a picture nevertheless of God and Jesus' faithfulness to us, Mm -hmm. that he continues to be faithful to us in 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 the light of all the difficulties and struggles in the world. Yeah, 
another one of the things that I picked up on was the the character of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that, you know, talking about the faithfulness of the characters, um, the loyalty that, that Ruth displays toward Naomi. Um, but looking at both Ruth's character, um, it says she's a woman of noble character, um, that she, you know, stays with Naomi, that she's willing to go out and work and to bring food home and things like that. Um, but also the book really speaks to the character of Boaz and um, him being a worthy man and really goes beyond what's expected of him um, mm-hmm. in taking care of both of these women. Um, his compassion really shines through in mm-hmm. his actions toward uh, Ruth and toward Naomi. Uh, yeah, very faithful man, very noble man. And um, not only does he, uh, you know, provide food for them, but he he protects them. Mm-hmm. He um you know, gives them permission to to gather more food from the field than what is necessary and um, is really a protector for them as well. Well, that really leads into one of the major themes, the kinsman redeemer. So we have this come up a few different times and the, you'll you'll have to read the story and sort of follow the thread. It's in some ways it's kind of mundane. It's like Boaz is going through the motions of this very like the normal process, like legal process of how they would Uh, make sure someone was supported, go through the right steps and everything. So you can read that story. But the big picture, we have this view of redemption, um, which has been, the the word's been used already. It was used back in the story of of Israel being redeemed, um, bought out of slavery. Um, That theme of buyback, it comes up in the book of Leviticus. We're talking about some of the law code kind of stuff about about that Israel has. Here we see, see it applied in sort of a normal daily life kind of context. Uh, that Boaz is able to buy back the property of Naomi's husband and sons and marry Ruth, which provides her and then Naomi as well with this future, like Kristen said. And so there's this image of, of what Christ does for his people as well of we, we call Jesus our redeemer for a reason. Um, we're in that place of, of desperation without Christ and he's able to buy our freedom, buy our future back for us. And what's interesting is those outside of Israel are being brought in. As, we met, mm-hmm. as we've as we been talking about throughout this, Ruth was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite, uh, but yet, nevertheless, an ancestor of Christ. The mm-hmm. term that Vicar used earlier, grafted into the family. And I think that's a very apt picture, grafted in. If any of you have ever grafted uh, a branch to one tree to another, uh, that how it becomes as if one, like mm-hmm. they're, it's all together in that, that grafting nevertheless. Um, it's interesting to me that throughout the book of Ruth, God isn't mentioned very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of God language in the book. Um, however, his providence is very evident in the things that are going on and how he's taking care of both Naomi and Ruth. In everyday language, that's kind of like how we live our everyday language. We don't walk around using this uh, particularly formal language of uh, God and this and God and that. And yet, in how we live and how we act and how we talk really speaks volumes. We can use the right words and not do do the godly living. And yet, on the other hand, we can be very godly in how we act and how we treat other people and give a direct message without necessarily ever using those church speak, so to speak, words that we have. And so how important it is to live out that life of faith, not Mm -hmm. just talk about it, 
but live it. And so here we see ultimately Naomi, Ruth, Boaz living that life of faith, not necessarily always using the language, but nevertheless living it in how and in what they do. It's a lot more reflective of, I think, our, our normal lives. And, and uh, even I just think like one of the few times that God is mentioned is uh, Boaz greeting the people out in the field. He's, hey, the Lord be with you, which I mean is, is like, it's, a, it's a, just a greeting. It's saying hello. It's, it's, a, it's a great and wonderful greeting in the name of, of God, but it is, he's, he's using it in the context of daily life. Um, he's, and that's, again, it's just such an earthy story uh, in, a, in a really beautiful way. Well, as we uh, get to the end of the week, uh, we get into 1 Samuel, and this is another one of those transition periods, okay? So Joshua leads them into the promised land, and they're led by judges. God's the ultimate authority. They're different than all the people around them. There's no king. Uh, you know, the, the kingdom is actually led by judges, God being the ultimate head. And as we're transitioning into 1 Samuel, the people are getting a little impatient. As much as God wants to set them apart as being different than those around them, it's like, well, we want to be like everybody else. And we're going to see that transition into ultimately getting away from judges to ultimately kings, and that's impact on the life and worship of the people and how that goes. And so we're getting into that. That story continues now as they're becoming a kingdom with kings. And, and we see that beginning with First Samuel. So thank you again for joining us this week on the, the Trek Through the Scriptures podcast. Uh, as we continue our reading this week, I, I'd encourage you to um, not get too turned off by some of the darkness that we'll see. Um, God is not afraid to reckon with human sin. I think we are sometimes uh, afraid of that, and it can scare us and worry us. But Christ came into the heart of human darkness and brokenness, even the the darkness and brokenness in our own hearts. And so there is hope because we don't read Judges without the end of the story in mind. Um, we don't read these stories without viewing where this is all going, which is that that, that redemption that we talked about is going to be fulfilled. Um, it's all pointing forward. God's promises are continuing. He is faithful. He is faithful to you too. So keep that in mind as you continue your reading this week. And we want to thank uh, Kristen for being with us uh, this week. Uh, I'm sure as we continue through our trek, we're going to have her along again as she gives some of her insights and uh, as we do ministry here at Zion. And so we're glad that you're with us. And thank you, Kristen, for being with us. Thank you very much. It was a joy to be in the Word with you. See you next week. Thanks for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on social media. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.